Turn to the book of Matthew. We'll get there in just a moment. Matthew 23. This morning is, uh, is a bit of a transition morning in our sermon series as we finish up one uh, series that we've been working through this summer called Building Blocks. And we started off uh, at the beginning of the summer in 2 Timothy 4.2 as we talked about the importance of biblical proclamation, that we be proclaiming the Word of God. And really, every single one of us has a responsibility to be proclaimers of truth. We often think of that in the context of a church and a preacher standing up and preaching to the congregation or a teacher teaching their class or someone working with children. And yet everywhere we go, we ought to be proclaimers of truth through what we say, through how we live, and we ought to be speaking truth and speaking ultimately the truth that is rooted in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we looked at the following week from Psalm 100. The idea of passionate worship, that we have a God who's worthy to be praised. He is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. That means God's truth is truth to your grandparents, it's truth for your parents, it's truth for you, it's truth for your children, it's truth for your children's children, and for every generation to come. We live in a world today that seems to be constantly in flux and in change. But God's word will stand forever. And God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. We spoke then the next week on the importance of sincere prayer. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. And then, of course, compassionate evangelism. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we looked at the truth that we are ambassadors for Christ. We have the great privilege not to be the ones who, we're not preaching of ourselves. No, we're not speaking about something that we have done. Rather, we are just representatives of the King of Kings and carrying His message to this world and speaking of what Christ has done for us, in us, and through us. We must be a church that loves the lost and is compassionate in our evangelism. And we followed that then with patient discipleship. If we are going to grow in our walk with the Lord and if we're going to help others do the same, we must be patient in our encouragement and intentional in our discipleship of others. It ought to bother us if we see our brother or sister in Christ that's fallen aside or is missing or is going through a time of struggle and we ought to be as a church very intentional in our process and in our care of each other as we grow in our walk with the Lord. As you know, patience can be a hard thing to have. And the Bible talks about patience in the book of James and how patience is something that God develops in us through the struggles and trials that we face in our life. And then last week we looked at genuine love. We finished with that great passage on love in 1 Corinthians 13, that if we have everything but we don't have charity, then we have nothing, and it is worthless, and it is empty, and it is vanity. 
And may we do everything in love. And I want us to finish this series uh, with a message on selfless service. Selfless service. Now, selfless service is impossible without genuine love. So I think each of these definitely, uh, there's a lot of overlap in these different themes. And I hope these have been an encouragement and challenge to you and help to remind us of who we are and what we should be doing as a church. Next week, Lord willing, I'll be starting a new series as we look at the subject of faith. I've been wanting to and been studying for a while the great passage on faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and I have a whole series of messages that I think would be a challenge to us and encouragement to us as we continue to walk by faith. I hope that you'll join us for that. The Bible says in Galatians 6 and verse 10, As we have therefore opportunity... Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I think that verse ought to set the stage for us as we think about our duty as servants and to be a blessing one to another. We are, by God's word, commanded to do good to all men but to place an, a special focus on those who are part of the household of faith. A friend of mine, not a close friend, more of an acquaintance, but somebody that I've kept up with for probably six or seven years now. Uh, we have kept up mostly by Facebook in the more recent time. He's been sharing the burden that his uh, high school age son has been dealing with going through cancer for a while now, and it's a very difficult journey. It's a, it's a type of cancer that the doctors are not even sure what it is. And so he shared this week that there's a potential that they may be coming down here to Houston for treatments at the cancer center here in Houston, uh, which I'm thankful for is a wonderful medical center here. And so I reached out to him and I said, listen, if you're coming this way, if there's something we can do to help with transportation or with lodging or with some meals or something along the way to make your trip a little bit easier, we'd like to do that. Now, this man's not my best friend in the world. He's just another pastor that I met along the way. He pastors up in Ohio and we've met in person, I think, one time. But, you know, I believe as Christians... We ought to be looking to do good and to serve others, especially those who are of the household of faith. God has called us to serve. He has called us to serve Him, and He has called us to serve one another. I believe in one respect or another, every single person, whether they're doing right or not, is a servant to somebody or to something. And tragically, we see many find themselves serving the wrong master. Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, this man who, this young man who wanted his inheritance before his father died. And so he asked for his money, his father obliged, gave it to him, and the man went away. The Bible says he wasted all of his inheritance on riotous living. He just spent it on whatever would serve himself. And the longer he served himself, he eventually lost all of his money and he found himself serving food to pigs. You know, we ought not to wait until we're so low that pig food looks good to us before we wake up and realize 
our own selfishness. And that's really what took him there was his own self-focus, his own selfishness. And he had this moment of realization. He said, even my father's servants have bread enough to spare. And yet here I am with not enough to fill my belly and I'd like to eat what the hogs have to eat instead. I'm so thankful that my heavenly father and your heavenly father always takes care of his servants. And in Matthew 23, where we will spend our time today, verses 1 through 12, Jesus instructs his disciples about selfless service. I want you to follow along. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. The Bible says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say, and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do, for to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats and the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be ye not called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all your brethren, and call no man your father upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whatsoever shall exalt, or in whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Jesus took the thinking of his day, and really I would say it's the same thinking of our day when it comes to greatness and what it means to have influence and importance, and he took the whole system and turned it on its head. Often we think of the, you know, how organizational structures are form, formed as a pyramid with those who are at, on the top or those who are in charge and those who carry the greatest authority. And yet the way Jesus describes it for us in this passage, he takes that whole pyramid structure and he turns it upside down. And he says, if you want to be the greatest, then you need to be the servant of all. As Jesus begins his description here in the first few verses of this passage, he speaks specifically to the way that the scribes and Pharisees behave themselves. Now to his Jewish audience, they would have seen these religious leaders around them all the time. It would have been a common occurrence to see them in the street. It would have been normal to go and to hear them speak in the synagogue. They would have known who these people were in their community. And these scribes and Pharisees were held up in a position of importance. And I want you to notice that Jesus is not speaking against the position that the scribes and Pharisees held. 
Jesus in this passage does not have a problem with authority, but rather he is teaching those who are in authority and those who are under authority how to behave themselves. And he use, uses a, a very important description here in the very first part of verse 2 when he says, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. What was Jesus referring to here? Well, this idea of Moses' seat. Moses was the giver of the law. Obviously, we know God gave the law to Moses, but it was Moses that had those two tablets of stone when he came down from the top of the mountain, and he was the one who spoke this truth to the children of Israel. He was a leader of the people of Israel. And Jesus is saying here, the scribes and Pharisees are speaking in Moses' seat. They're in Moses' position of authority. And when they speak the truth of God's law, Jesus actually says, you ought to hear and do what the Pharisees say. Isn't it interesting? Because here we would often look as the scribes and Pharisees as a very bad example of religion and authority. And they were in their actions. And Jesus deals with that. But their message, in many cases, was the right message. Jesus tells them here. He says, the things that they tell you to observe, that, they, that bid you to observe, verse 3, that observe and do. But then Jesus says at the end of verse 3, but do not ye after their works. And here's the problem. For they say and do not. Here I think we find the first description that Jesus gives of selfish servants. A selfish servant is one who places higher expectations on others than they do on themselves. Here the scribes and Pharisees were placing the expectation of, of religion and religiosity and of keeping Moses' law, but Jesus points out a major fault in their system. The fault was not so much in their teaching, at least in this particular case. The fault was in the fact that they told others to do things that they were not willing to do themselves. A true servant doesn't place higher expectations on others than they do on themselves. Or you could say it this way, selfless service, that's what we ought to have, selfless service is not just telling others what to do. It is living a holy, faithful life of service to God and to others. If you want to have true influence that makes a difference, then be willing to serve others. The scribes and Pharisees, did they have influence? Of course they did. They had tremendous influence in that day. But sadly, because their actions did not match up with their words, often their influence did more to turn people away from the truth than to teach people how to truly walk in what is right. And while none of us would probably stand up this morning and say, well, I'm a Pharisee or I'm a scribe, sadly, I think that same attitude can sometimes be found in each of us. 
that we place higher expectations on the service, on what others do to serve, than we are willing to place on ourselves. And Jesus, as He finished out this little section in the text that I read to you this morning, Jesus clearly states that the way to be great is to humble yourself. Humbling yourself is not saying, well, I'm too good to do X, Y, and Z, or, well, you really ought to do that, but don't expect me to do that. No, selfless service is willing to humble yourself and not to place higher expectations on others than you do on yourself. You know, parents, we can be guilty of this with our children, can't we? If your philosophy in parenting looks more like telling your children what to do but not being willing to back it up with your own actions, then you are doing a great disservice to your children. Sadly, many parents look around, well, don't do it like I did it. Don't do what I do. You ought to do this instead. Hey, mom and dad, we ought to be willing to step up and do the right thing ourselves. Now, I, in my home, I try to have time to be able to teach my children about all kinds of different things, laundry, washing dishes, mowing the grass, how to handle their finances, how to communicate with other people. There's all kinds of things that happen. And sometimes in that role as the dad in my home, there's some delegation that takes place, right? Hey, all right, boys, it's time. In fact, we had that conversation this morning as we left the home. I said, well, we've had a little bit of rain here and there, a lot of sunshine. Tomorrow morning before we get going, we homeschool, so our schedule's a little different, I understand. We're going to mow the grass before we do anything else. Well, my boys are now at a stage that they're pretty good at mowing the grass themselves. But you know, last week we had an issue with our blower, our, little, our uh, gas blower to blow all the grass clippings off. And so I had to get up off the couch and put my lemonade down. And I had to go over and I had to start the blower and do it. I'm elaborating a little bit, exaggerating a little bit. The reality is this, if I just sit on the couch Say, well, I'm the dad, you guys do all this, and I'm not willing to do it myself, then am I really teaching my children how to serve? Or am I just teaching them that someday when I get the opportunity to be in charge, then I'm going to boss everybody else around as well? You see, selfless service does not place higher expectations on others than you are willing to place on yourself. You know, husbands, we can be guilty of this with our wives as well. I have learned that just because I'm at work all day doesn't mean that my wife wasn't working all day. When I come home and she's been with the children all day, I've actually learned her work's a lot harder than my work. I can actually close my office door and be alone. For my wife, it's like locking the bathroom door, and that's the only way to be alone, right? Sometimes even that, you're not really that alone as the knockings are coming on the wall and on the door and, hey, I need you right now, or the screams are coming from the other room as one child is tormenting another, and so mom is coming out to deal with it. And so if I just come home and say, well, I've worked all day, it's time for you to serve me, oh, I'm going about it the wrong way. And you say, well, you've clearly been married 17 years. You've learned how to keep her happy. No, I think being married to seven, for 17 years, if you're walking with the Lord, should teach you how to love somebody else and be able to serve them 
selflessly. Don't place higher expectations on others than you place on yourself. You know, bosses, we can be guilty of this with our employees too, can't we? And yes, there is a time in various ways where sometimes I have something important to do and I need somebody else to go help me to take care of something else. But it's because that's what the situation demands, not because as the boss you're unwilling to serve and to help in a situation. Even church members, we can be guilty of this with one another. Well, I've put in my time. I've done my duty. It's somebody else's time to step up. Listen, if you need a break, take a break. That's what the church body's there for, to be able to minister to one another and bear one another's burdens and help them. And I don't want anybody to get run into the ground because, well, I never get any time off. And we try to work very carefully to make sure people can have breaks in their service of one another. At the same time, we ought not take the attitude that I deserve something extra that somebody else does not deserve. That looks more like selfish serving rather than selfless serving. I see in this passage clearly these Pharisees, they were willing to say but not willing to do. They placed heavy burdens, verse 4, bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders. They, they gave great expectation. Here's the law you need to keep. Don't do these things. Make sure you do these things. But I'm not going to lift my own finger to do it myself. This is one example of selfish serving. But I think we see another one here in verses 5 through 7. Look with me, if you will, at verse 5. It says, but all their works they do, what's the next phrase say? Read it with me, for to be seen of men. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. This is a problem, and Jesus points it out. He continues on. He says, they make broad their phylacteries. We'll talk about those in a minute and enlarge the borders of their garments. You say, why? Why were they doing That seems kind of strange. What was going on here? There, there is something they were trying to show off in these ways. And love the uppermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. The second point is very simply this. Selfish servants work to be seen of men. That's the purpose in their work. They want to be seen. They want to be noticed. They want to be appreciated by everybody else. And that is the motivation for their service. Selfish servants are concerned more about show than substance. And that's what Jesus is speaking to when he talks about the broad phylacteries and enlarging the borders of their garments. A phylactery was a small box 
that was made to contain little portions, little pieces of parchment on which would be inscribed little portions of Scripture from God's Word. And they would roll these up and put these in these little boxes and they would bind them on their left arms and they would bind them around their foreheads. And in fact, it was something that God told them in the Old Testament was to be done as a reminder of God's Word and their submission to God's Word. Think of the proverb that talks about binding God's Word upon your heart or writing it upon the tables of your heart, binding it upon your head. This was what they were doing. They were taking that literally and taking little verses of Scripture and they were tying them in these boxes to their bodies. But notice what the scribes and Pharisees did. They made broad their phylacteries. They made sure that their boxes of Scripture were big boxes. They wanted everybody to know, this guy's carrying a lot of the Bible around. Now, I am not speaking against you if you happen to have a wide margin, thick study Bible with lots of notes, right? I have several of those myself, and I really enjoy them. However, if we are trying to show off just by the size of the Bible we carry and saying that therefore by definition makes me more spiritual than somebody else, I think in some way that would be a modern representation of what in one sense was going on here in this time. Now everybody next week is going to bring their little micro Bible to show off how they're not trying to show off that way. So please keep bringing your Bible that you're able to read. I like this. It's a pretty good sized one because I can read the text on it. I have even thicker ones with lots of notes and maps and I really enjoy those as well. See, the issue was not really that their phylactery was really big or that your Bible's really big. The issue was why it was so big. It was so big because they wanted to be seen of men. How sad would it be if we were to carry big Bibles around every day and yet never opened them and applied them to our lives? How sad would it be if we just ordered a large Bible so that others were think we're very spiritual and read it or show off our Bibles, but yet we never live it out ourselves? See, selfish servants are concerned more about show than substance. And Jesus gives another example even beyond these phylacteries he talks about enlarging the borders of their garments. Let me read to you a passage from Numbers chapter 15, verse 37 to 41, because some of these cultural references may say, well, this is just weird. It actually wasn't weird. It was part of their culture that actually you can trace its roots right back to Old Testament commands that God gave these folks. Numbers 15, verse 37, And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be to you for a fringe that ye may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them and that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which ye used to go whoring, that ye may remember and do all my commandments, and be holy unto your, unto your God. 
I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So God commanded them. He said, I want you to have fringes in, in your garments. These were the prayer shawls that they would wear that would have tassels. And in fact, if you see an Orthodox Jewish person today, you'll often see them with tassels on their garments. The problem was not that they had tassels on their garments. The problem was they had forgotten why those tassels were there in the first place. God put them there as a physical reminder that they were under the authority of God. They wore things that made themselves look different than the cultures around them so that they would be reminded who they were serving. But see what happened over time is as they're wearing this clothing, instead of submitting themselves to the Lord, they began to wear this clothing as more of a fashion statement, as more of something to show off how spiritual they were. And just to make sure that you knew, they enlarged the borders to make sure that the fringes were extra long so that all could recognize their great spirituality. And here this brings up an important area when it comes to our service, he's talking about how they got dressed and how they came before the Lord. Now, we often in our day-to-day -day say, well, God just looks on the heart. He doesn't care about the outward appearance. And yet, when we look at Scripture, we see that the outward appearance ought to be a reflection of our heart. But if it's just for show, then it has no real substance at all. Back in where I read in Numbers 15, God said the reason for this was that they would remember and do all of my commandments. Instead of using these tassels or these ribbons and borders to remind them of their position before God, they were now using it to show off to others their position before God. Isn't that an interesting perspective? So that means when I come to worship the Lord and I prepare my heart, but I also get dressed on Sunday morning and come to church, I'm not putting on certain clothes to prove to you how spiritual I am. I'm clearly not fully spiritual because my tie is not on today. So it's like levels of spirituality, you know, less spiritual, here comes the coat, it's going off. Boy, he's really slipping, and then eventually he doesn't have a long sleeve shirt, it's a short sleeve, you know, and we can measure people's spirituality by the number of layers of clothing that they have on. What God is teaching here is that if you're just putting all this on just to prove how spiritual you are, you're not really serving God or others. You're just serving yourself. At the same time, God's not saying, if you want to wear these things, do it. But do it to the Lord. Don't do it to be seen of men. Selfish servants are concerned more about show than substance. Verses 6 and 7, I think we can see clearly that selfish servants also desire recognition. 
They want to be seen. They want to be recognized, he says. And they love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. They were doing these things because they loved the results. Now, was it comfortable to wear these large phylacteries? Was it comfortable to enlarge their borders of their garments and have all these tassels hanging down that they had to deal with? And I mean, imagine keeping that out of your food as you moved around and taking care when you went to the restroom that it didn't end up in the wrong place. Like, just think practically how complicated this would be. And yet we see even in our society today, even in an unspiritual way, people will worry so much about their outward appearance just because they love the recognition and perks that come along with it. And they're doing it to be seen, not doing it to serve. Selfish servants desire recognition. If you need a title to be able to serve somebody, then you're not serving God, you're serving yourself. Now, does God give titles to me? Sure. But that's not, the, that's not the driving motivation behind the service. If you're serving just to show off your skills and ability and not to give glory to God, then you're just serving yourself. Well, I just want people to know how good I am. Well, then you're not serving. Well, you are. You're just serving yourself. That's selfish service, not selfless service. I, it is my desire to be a church that is marked by selfless and not selfish service. I want you to continue on with me to verse 8. Because here I think we have a, a shifting of gears. We've seen a couple examples of selfish service, but in the remainder of this passage, I think we see great examples of selfless service. Verse 8 says, But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And let's read the last part of that verse together. And all ye are brethren. What a different way of thinking than the culture of that day. Oh, you had the spiritual people and then you had everybody else. You had the religious leaders and the common people. You had the political leaders and they just ran over everybody and the military authority. They did whatever they want with impunity and you really had no standing at all. And when Jesus Christ came on the scene, his teaching was so different than the culture of that day because he's saying, he's looking at all these people and he says, You're all brothers. Somebody said it this way, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. When we come before the Lord, we all have to come the same way as sinners in need of a Savior. We all need grace. It's not for me to look at you and say, well, clearly he needs a lot more grace than me. Wow, she, wow, whew. What a mess. I'm glad God has enough grace for... We all are in need of grace. Without the grace of God, we'd all be miserable, lost 
sinners. All ye are brethren. I said it this way. Selfless servants do not exalt themselves above others. We should not exalt ourselves above others. When I look around this morning, I'm thankful. And I don't know all of you as well as others, but so many of you, I can look around and say, I know that's my brother in Christ. I know that's my sister in Christ. And what a blessing that is. Jesus is not taking away the idea of authority and leadership in this passage. Rather, he is describing that leadership positions should not be the goal in and of themselves, but should always be viewed as opportunities to serve others. What a privilege and joy it is to serve others. It's a great responsibility, yes. If God's given you children, you have an opportunity to serve them. Yes, and you also have an opportunity to lead them. But your greatest leadership in their lives is as you serve God and as you serve them and point them to Christ as servants of His as well. If you have the opportunity to be a deacon at the church, you know what the word deacon actually means? It's just a transliteration of the Greek word diakonos, which is another word for a servant. A servant. I was serving in a place at one time, and, and one of the deacons really wanted a name tag that said deacon on it so that he could let everybody know that he was. And I was talking with the pastor about it, and he said, well, I think maybe he wants it for the wrong reason. He wants to kind of have a position of authority. And I said, well, instead of the Greek transliteration, let's just get him a tag that says servant and see if he'll wear that. And he said, I don't think that's what he's going for. <laughs> Does a deacon in a church have an opportunity to encourage and be a part of things? Absolutely. But they're not there to lord over other people. Can I say the same thing as a pastor? It's not my job to be a lord over the flock. No, it's my job to serve the flock. But it's not just a pastor-deacon thing. That's something that... All of us, I think, can find ourselves in this passage when he says very clearly, And all ye are brethren. What a blessing it is to be part of the body of Christ, to be part of the family of God. I'm sure you've maybe heard the little chorus, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I am glad to be part of God's family. As my friend who preached here a couple weeks ago, Pastor Clayton, says from time to time, the gospel light does attract some strange bugs. <laughs> but I'm glad for every one of you, strange bug or not, because I'm sure I have my idiosyncrasies as well. It's a blessing to be able to be part of this family. It's a gift to be able to share your burdens in prayer with others and know that People are going to pray about it and they care. It's a blessing to have folks that look out for you or for your children. And that's something that I think the body of Christ ought to be doing better than anywhere else in the world. 
because we are brethren, but why are we brethren? Look back at verse 8, for one is your master, even Christ. We are brothers and sisters because of Christ. Not because of what we've done or because of the skill set we bring to the table or because of all the work that we've done to put things together. No, we're brothers and sisters because of Christ. You can't enjoy that kind of brotherly love without trust and harmony that comes in unity as we follow Christ together. And that leads me right to my next big point. We see in verses 8 through 10 that selfless servants must recognize Christ as their master. Jesus makes this statement that ye are all brethren, but in verses 8 through 10, he really just kind of goes off and he begins to describe the importance of having Christ as your master. Verse 8, but be not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all your brethren, and call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your Father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your Master, even Christ. He reiterates this idea in these three verses very clearly. We have one Master. We have one Father. We have one Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus is not saying that using a term to show respect is a bad thing. He's not saying you shouldn't call somebody Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so or Dr. So-and-so or, or that you shouldn't call somebody Pastor So-and-so or anything else. What he's reminding us is why we are unified. It's not because I'm in charge of you and I've just got you organized really well it's because we have one master and he's christ we have one father and it's god we have one savior jesus christ our lord so we're not to run around as little mini dictators or potentates of our little circle that we have to be masters over those things rather we're to point all to jesus christ you know, this happens even in the family. The Bible speaks about the hierarchical structure in a family, how wives are to submit themselves to their husbands. But do you know what the rest of the verse says? It says, as unto the Lord. So ladies, as you submit, it's not because your husband is the, is the master overall. It's because you're submitting yourself to the Lord. Children, obey your parents, not just because they're your parents. No, it says, in the Lord, for this is right. So, boys and girls, as we submit ourselves to our parents, it's ultimately as unto the Lord. Pastors have to submit to the Lord. Every single one of us all have to draw our authority back to the Lord. Selfless servants do not exalt themselves above, above others. Selfless servants recognize Christ as their master. And my final point this morning, verses 11 and 12, Jesus said, But he that's greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that is humble, 
He that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Selfless servants understand that the path to greatness is through humility. Let me say that again. Selfless servants understand that the path to greatness is through humility. I think the piece of this passage that speaks the most to me is not just the words that are spoken that we read in Matthew chapter 23 together this morning. The thing that speaks the most to me in this passage of Scripture is the example of the person who spoke these words. If your Bible has the red letters in it, you'll know that these words were spoken by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who was instructing His followers about what it meant to be a servant. And in this instruction, He was clear to tell them, when the Pharisees tell you something to do, if it is in line with the law of Moses, you ought to do it. But don't follow after their example because they're more interested in the show. They're more interested in the personal recognition. They're out for themselves. No, you do it for the Lord. You have one master and it's Christ. You're brethren. You are part of the same family if you're part of God's family. And you ought to humble yourself if you want to be great. And Jesus spoke these words, but then Jesus Christ himself, he was the greatest example of living out this message that we could ever have. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Listen to the next verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus has never asked you to do something that he wasn't willing to do even more himself. God will never ask of you in service something that he has not served you in a much greater way Already, Sometimes we can look at the position of a servant and say, well, that's kind of a lowly position. That's a difficult position. That's a hard position. People take advantage of you if you put yourself in that position of service. But God in human flesh, Jesus Christ himself, showed us the way. And he showed us the way of a servant. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, let this mind He's talking about being a servant. Be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. That was a big step down. And then he says, and being found in fashion as a man, he 
humbled himself. So he's, he's a servant already. Then he humbles himself further and he made himself obedient unto death. For God to make himself willing to die. And then he says even the death of the cross. The worst possible death that they could even conceive of at that point in time. Jesus is our servant. And He asks us to serve Him. But He's already shown us how to do it. And then the Bible says in Philippians 2, in verse number 9, He says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him. Exalted Jesus and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see how in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it follows the same pattern that Jesus was teaching his followers in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 11, He that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself, that's what Jesus did, shall be exalted. Shall be exalted. Here's one of the challenges, the great challenges that I think is keeping many from true service of the Lord. We view time as this little, through this little narrow window of our lifetime that we're in right now. You know, I'm, Shandy says I've been talking about it a lot lately. Maybe I have, I don't know. I'm 39 years old. I'll talk about it again. So I've had a certain amount of time on this earth already. And I've lived enough time on this earth that as I look for, I'm like, well... Maybe I have about that much time left. Maybe more, maybe less. None of us knows. But I have this much time. But if all life is is about that little time that we're here on this earth, then there's not a whole lot of motivation to be a servant. Because you ought to enjoy it while it lasts. I mean, it's running out quickly, feeling that every day. Well, this world's in a mess. No one else is looking out for you, so clearly you have to look out for yourself. People, you know, hire people and fire people willy-nilly. The economy goes up and goes down, and it just seems like, why would you bother serving anybody? I think part of that issue is a question of perspective because we view our life as just what it is right here on this earth. But James tells us that the life is like a vapor. It appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Jesus told his followers, he said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? He says, where, thie where thieves come in and steal and moth and rust corrupt. He says, no, rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where thieves don't break in and steal and where moths don't come in and eat it up and rust doesn't corrupt it. Why? Because your life is so much more important than just the 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that God gives you here on this earth. 
It's so much more important than that. I even think about somebody that we may look at and say, well, they were taken too soon. Somebody that only lived five years or 10 years or 15 or 25 years. And we say, what, what, why, how could that be good at all? Because God views things in a perspective of eternity. We view things in the perspective of this life. I think Jesus, obviously being God, he knows it all, but his perspective is so different than ours. And he was willing to come and serve you and me. And you know what? If we look in the mirror, we are strange bugs. I mean, you think about all the silly things that go through your mind and all the crazy stuff you've done in your life and all the times you've done something. You're like, well, that was dumb. I can't believe I did that. Sure glad I'm not going to do that again. And then it seems like the next week goes on and you find yourself doing something. What am I doing? And God loves us. And he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Isn't that incredible? He didn't just look at us and say, well, that guy's a mess. Ah, she's a trouble. Ah, no, he loved this world so much that he sent his only begotten son God made us and then God has spent all of history since our creation serving us what a thought that's great love and he's serving us not because he has to he's God he could wipe us out and start over again if he wanted to. But you're, you are that valuable to the Lord that he says, I'm not just going to wipe you out and start over. No, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to send my son to die for you. What a blessing that is. Our service needs to be selfless service. But the reason it ought to be selfless service is because of the way that Christ has already served us. Let me give you one more verse and then I'm going to pray and close and we're going to get ready for the Lord's table together this morning. Romans 12, 1 and 2 say this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, there's that word brethren again, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Kind of sounds like being a servant, doesn't it? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why is it reasonable service? Because of what he said in the first part of the verse. Because of the mercies of God. Because of the mercies of God. I found in my life, as I look back, the people that I stay the most connected with and the people I just love to be around are the people who over the years have been a blessing to me or served me in some way. Sometimes it was just picking up the phone and they were always there to talk and encourage me. Maybe it was somebody that was always there to help take care of a need or to meet something that was going through a hard time. I'm so thankful for my wife. She's such a servant to me. She serves and serves and serves and I try to stay a little bit skinny because it's such good eating at my house all the time. Such a blessing. But it's not just because she makes good food. She prays for me. When I'm going through a hard time, she'll send me a verse and say, 
Remember this. Send me a song. Listen to that. There's so many other people that are a blessing to me as well. And you know, it's those people that in my mind, I want to turn around and serve them right back. You probably feel the same way, don't you? And if we get our eyes off of our circumstances on the Lord, and we remember that He is continually serving us. In fact, you know, He's serving us right now. You're sitting here comfortable in your chair, and Jesus is up building your mansion in heaven right now. I don't know. He probably doesn't have a hammer and nails in His hand. I'm sure He can speak it into existence. But isn't it wonderful that He's thinking about you, and He's thinking about me, and that He's preparing a place? My wife had to teach me that. Like, you know, when if you want to make things nice for people, you want to prepare it, make it look good. I remember at Christmas, our first Christmas together, and she was spending all this time putting bows and ribbons and all these things on presents. And I said, why? It doesn't matter. They're just going to rip it all. She said, I want them to know that they're special to me just by how much I've prepared to give them this gift. You know, the Lord is preparing for you and for me. He's getting ready for us to come home. And I hope that while we have maybe a few hours, days, months, years, decades, whatever it is that He leaves us here, that we'll be faithful to serve Him and serve others selflessly. We'd not look out to how can I advance myself, but how can I point other people to Jesus? How can I encourage my friend, my family member, my neighbor, even a stranger? The Bible says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. I pray that even though probably what has been said has not been new for most here, that it would be an important reminder and challenge in our life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place, to die for this world. Thank you for showing us the way of a servant and that we learn from the example of Christ it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. Lord, I pray that selfless service would be a mark that is clearly visible for all to see here at Arise Baptist Church. That when people come in contact with us, whether it's here in this building, on this property, or out and about in the community, they would know that there is a group of people that are a family that serve one another and serve the Lord and look to serve this community. Lord, as a servant, sometimes we feel very limited in our abilities and our resources, and we are, but I'm thankful as our Master, you have no limits when it comes to resources or power or ability to accomplish the work. May we rest in you and serve 
out as your instruments in this world. In Jesus' name I pray.